I got to sit down today and talk to Jessel Harry. He's somebody from the Springfield music scene who actually took the chance and went out to New York City only to find out that Springfield is a lot better place than New York City to be a musician. As strange as that might sound, it's entirely true. And so he talks today about Lou Whitney and Eric Amble, and then he also talks about all the stuff that's going on with his awesome recording that needs to come out in 2020. And let's help him get to the point. Let's help him. Let's help him make this thing happen because this is not a big goal. And let's help him do it. It was so fun to talk to him, and I'm so blessed by having him. So thank you, Jessel, and thank you for coming on the Dale Wiley Show at dalewileyshow.com. Am I talking to my friend Jessel Harry today? Yes. Yes, you All are. All right. I'm kind of excited to do this. Man, you've got a very interesting career. I want to hear all about it. And so tell me about, first of all, is there a possibility that you might be coming back to the Midwest? Uh, yeah, it's um, uh, pretty... Well, I I am actually. I'm uh, I'm here. Okay. Um, I'm I'm back in Springfield, and uh, right. The short the short version is um, I just I met a girl while listening to one of these online shows, and okay. she's a Springfield girl, and um, right. we just kind of became nuts about each other after just a few days, and wow. Uh, and so I basically moved back. Uh, primarily because of her 10 days after we met. Uh, but I also, as I said in a, online, I kind of feel like in some ways I was suffering needlessly in New York, kind of just because I felt like I needed to be there. And, uh, and the virus, I think, made me realize that just how... Um, what a what a positive force the music community of Springfield is right. in my life, Definitely. and that I I just didn't have that there in New York. I have few few friends, a small community, but just that I miss that. Uh, I miss being around people that that always uh, want to know how I'm doing and um, work together. And so I think it was. I think possibly. Um, uh, my partner Tony was maybe a kind of like the impetus for what I was needing to do anyway. Well, so let's go back to how you got involved in Springfield and the music scene because you're not originally from here. Is that right? Right. Um, I well, I grew up actually. I grew up in Brooklyn and uh, uh, Marlboro, New Jersey. But uh, okay. we're we're uh, we're immigrants from a tiny island in the Caribbean called Saint Vincent. Um, okay. And I I was born there, but actually came to the U.S. when I was about uh, I was I believe I was six. And, okay. Uh, so I to, to fast forward. Um, I had gotten out of the army and I was in upstate New York living with my brother. He went to school there. And I just, uh, at the time I was, um, I was, uh, a very devout Christian. And, uh, uh, so a lot of, a lot of, uh, friends, we were going to this church and the number of, uh, the, uh, uh, number of uh college age uh folk yes. in the church were going to right. bbc and right. uh at, at the time uh, my fiance she really wanted to go to bbc and so we decided that uh, we would go together and that's kind of that's how i got out to springfield i went to bbc for a year but uh okay. little 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 too in, little too intense for my liking I think <laughs> <laughs> very strict. I get that. Yeah, and um, so uh, I, that didn't work out, and I was uh, kindly asked to leave the university, if it, I, I don't know other or college, um, and so I, uh, after uh, getting kicked out of BBC, which really isn't that hard to do, Dale. <laughs> I mean, right. I don't want to obviously get into the. Uh, specifics of 
of my dismissal, but you don't right. have to do a whole lot. <laughs> um, yes, you know, exactly. You could, yeah, and so so uh, I, I I didn't feel that bad about it, but at the right. time I wanted to uh, get I I had been starting to do music quite a bit again, and I wanted to uh, um, start a band. And when uh, when I left BBC, I realized, oh, you know, this it, it's kind of got a good little scene here, and also it's very inexpensive to uh, to uh, your, your living costs. And compared yeah. to uh, you know a lot of other places, right? And it just seemed like um, you know I was starting to meet people. Um, uh, I, I got involved in at the time the group called a college group called Ichthus, and uh, it was like an like an uh, an extracurricular co collegiate group that got together and did had like just fun activities, and then they might have a little service sometimes at the university but but uh yeah so i just started you know to really work on putting together a band after i left bbc and little okay. by little i um started to meet some people at the university uh and met uh, some people through that group ichthus and i started my first serious band i think it was around 1993 and okay. that was called monkey engine uh, oh yeah, and uh, that that band did very well in Springfield, yeah. and was um a lot, it was a lot of fun. But I think we were right when I thought we were really doing well, and we were starting to do great shows and have really good crowds. But I didn't right. realize everybody was going in a different direction musically. <laughs> How so? Even, what do you mean? Well, and that's the thing. I didn't even realize it myself because. Quite frankly, I mean, I was a pretty stalwart rock and roller, some folk, before right. I came to Springfield. But um, I had begun to listen to the blues on my own quite a bit. But I also okay. was hearing, uh, just from being in Springfield, uh, I was hearing Johnny Cash now and then. Oh, yeah. And um, so I was telling a friend that for a lot of people... Johnny Cash is, uh, I call him the gateway drug into country. Right, yes. <laughs> you, you, you kind of, you, you start off with Johnny Cash, and then you, in my case, you discover Hank Williams, and it just goes on right. from there. And, um, exactly. And then, and then in, in, in my case, it went kind of Johnny Cash, Hank Williams, Outlaw Country, and, and then I just started discovering Americana, and at the time... yeah. Uh, there was, you know, this was like the days of Uncle Tupelo, and um, oh yeah, I you was know there. the Jayhawks had like one studio album, um, right? But uh, I don't know. They used to come through here though, Uncle Tupelo, and so oh, yeah. it just seemed like all the friends of mine that were really into uh, grunge and uh, uh, Pearl Jam and, and, uh, those right. groups, Nirvana, they were also into this Americana sound. Yeah. And when I heard that, man, I was kind of like, I was hooked. I, I just basically knew <laughs> I was going in, in that direction, but here we were in this, this funk grunge band and, and, and we were, you know, we were making decent money and, but we were putting right. it all back in. We had started to play regionally, but. Right, but, you know, so some things just kind of um, aren't meant to uh, continue, and and we had a good run. We're all still friends, but yeah, once right. I started hearing Uncle Tupelo and and uh, the Jayhawks, I started to really think about how you could really mix um, country with some rock, and I don't think I'm, right. you know, I'm I'm in a country rock band per se, but this definitely influence a large part of the work and i love that sound uh like fast forward today my favorite group is uh, are, are the drive-by truckers and oh Chero. Yeah. and to me they're like masters of that right you know and so is like, that where the western paradise came from uh yeah it basically well i wanted something that i could kind of uh uh, I had put out a little five song EP. I'm such a nerd, man! I I, I came up with this uh, line <laughs> from uh, from uh, what's that? Uh, um, 
Man, but anyway, the lines death poems to the living gods of America. So I thought right. that was too long, so I took out the living, and, uh, <laughs> and, and which made it really short. Death poems right. to the gods of America. And, uh-huh. uh, so I put that EP out, and um, but I started. I was list, I was kind of getting more into um, Americana and country rock and. Uh, by this point, well, the uh, Uncle Tupelo had split in the Sun Vault and Wilco, and right, and sure. uh, I, yeah, and I leaned towards Wilco like uh, the earlier stuff, but now I sort of like Sun Vault a little more. It's more stripped down. Um, okay. Yeah, so I, I just kind of, um, I, it just sort of like I never really set out to write in a particular way, but the songs started coming out. Some of them with a country right. influence and I realized that like uh while I love all these different styles I'm 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 looking for a way to kind of add cut country sure. into my music. Right. And I find like the yes. storytelling too is is like I mean um it's so it's it's more raw in a way, uh, with, with like country music and the blues right. uh, in particular. Sure. And so it's kind of, um, yeah, I was telling, uh, I was thinking that when I f- first started to hear Johnny Cash, I thought, man, you know, this guy, he's more punk rock than punk rock. He's yeah, like, definitely. These stories you are just, those... I mean, what are you talking about? You're, you're fighting your dad in a bar cause he called you Sue or me. I mean, these stories were just so out there. They were they were almost unbelievable, but they were believable. And then, you know, he totally could throw down something like uh, Sunday morning coming down, and I realized, yes. man, I've been that guy. <laughs> Open up the fridge. There was only beer in there, and I'm smelling my shirt to see which is right. kind of still. I can, well, I could squeeze another day out of this one. And um, yeah. just and that kind of like just loneliness that sometimes you feel on a on a day right. that's usually quiet like Sunday. So his stories really spoke to me, and and I right. realized that like in a way, um, you know, it was it was okay to like. It seemed like here was an entire genre where it was like where it was okay to like sad songs all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I just I didn't have to like uh, one. I didn't really have to get into happy music so much anymore. Right, <laughs> and uh, that that was a beautiful opportunity for me. Although that you know I'm always hearing it from the relatives, but what can you do? What can you, do? <laughs> you know, Jessel, you know you got you 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 can sing. You've got some talent, but this music it's so. It's, can't you make some happy music? Um. But uh, you know, but yes. in, 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 and I, I can, I can if I tried. So I don't know <laughs> where I'm going though, direction wise. I, I want to try to stay open. I was uh, actually supposed to start playing with Eric Amble, and okay. uh, I was really excited about that. Um, but I guess though, I also, I just miss the guys that I was playing with here a lot. Two of them are my. Right. Uh, two of my closest friends. And uh, I've been playing on and off with those guys now for nearly 15 years, I, I believe. Right. Some, uh, maybe closer to 17. And uh, not the whole time, but in one configuration or another and with breaks here and there. And it's just sure. kind of uh, like uh, sometimes you can't... You can't um, fabricate um uh, camaraderie true camaraderie right sure yes yeah uh i don't know um and i think that that what i was experiencing uh, even though eric is a friend and he's become a good friend uh, right. but what i was experiencing in new york was was it's it's basically the person who's writing most of the songs goes out right. and finds three or four hired guns, 25 an hour to rehearse, 100 per gig. That's kind of low end. Um, right. And they're all dealing with those heavy uh, co- that cost of living as well. And and so it's, it's like years later, I finally reached a point in New York where I could afford 
to start paying people to rehearse and I had found the people I like and <laughs> yes. um you know and Eric I mean he's just a beast on guitar um, oh yeah uh, and I was really looking forward to that but then I just really missed playing with the guys here and to <laughs> and me you know guys? in a way like just they had a certain you know you get you get a certain feel at, with people after oh, yeah. a while and so uh, and, 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 What's the name yeah, and the music becomes like you're not really you're just not even needing to talk about anything really you know right you're able to communicate non-verbally you're playing with though um uh richie allen on drums who uh, Lou Whitney referred to as one-time Richie because he only needed one time <laughs> to get it right. Okay. Which is actually fairly accurate. He's that good. Um, but right. uh, And then the other two which are just, uh, you know, buddies of mine, two of my best friends. Um, George Perkins plays bass. And uh, Nick Smith plays uh, guitar. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah. And, and so I've played... The earliest show I did with all three of them, I believe, was 2003, but we did some shows before that, but uh, I remember playing with George and Nick and Richie uh, around that time, and so I just, um, it's kind of like, uh, it's just kind of, it's almost like being in a group with a family member. Right, uh, and it's just it, it's kind of like uh, I was talking to George um, the other day from New York, and was just telling him how I, I I wasn't even so sure. I mean, how quote making it end quote what exactly that meant to me anymore. And right. uh, he said that he said sometimes when I want to talk to you, it's not because I want an update on your career. I just want to know how my friend Jessel's doing. Yeah. And I guess I'm kind of, you could imagine there's a difference between playing with someone like that and someone's like, well, you know, I really like your tune. So if you can do the 25 yeah, exactly. an hour to, to rehearse. And, What's your tone? I mean, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's so much more uh, like intimate, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like it just becomes a complete labor of love, and not that being in New York is a definite labor of much love, but I just, right. um, I could, I guess, maybe being somewhat of a recl reclusive person anyway, um, I found it very difficult there to, um, to kind of like, yeah, to you, yeah, yeah, to have a life you were basically just busting your chops just to keep the roof overhead most of the time. But I don't want to down the place because I'm not like, uh, I was thinking recently that there's a tendency to, you can always compare where you're from to where you live. And, and it's, sure. I mean, it's, you're comparing a city of, uh, well, if you include the surrounding towns around a quarter of a million to a city of right. 8 million. And but I guess there are um, certain things that I'll definitely miss about New York, and and it was a lot of lot going on, and um, but it's just I think probably I had to accept that um, like everybody's telling me I need to be here, there, or there, and even I believe it myself, but that if I look at my life as objectively as possible, I'm probably the happiest. In Springfield. Well, that's great. Yeah. Good to find out. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's really, uh, really good to find out. Um, actually, you know, good it's just kind of. Uh, out. <laughs> well, sometimes you never find that out, and, and right. you just keep going Definitely. around in circles, and and it's not so much that a location is is in some way a guarantee of happiness, but. Uh, there are people here that have been encouraging me musically, some of them for over two decades now. And Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, and and that's kind of like a um that's a kind of family also and 
that's a good thing to have. It really is. And even if you're, you know, not um, getting those breaks that that you really want to, um, I guess you're kind of it. It, it, it facilitates um, a situation where you can be more present, enjoy whatever you're right. doing in the present. Um, but so I guess we'll see. We'll see how it all unfolds here. I'm I'm a little nervous, Dale. I, I wouldn't kid you because. Even though I was just eking out a living in New York, um, besides a year that I spent cooking at two different places, um, okay. um, I, most of the seven and a half years in New York, I supported myself primarily from music. And like right. I said, I mean, I was just squeezing out a living. I mean, sometimes I would just right. <laughs> eat spaghetti for like a week straight. But... You know, I'm kind of I'm I'm I've never been able to support myself primarily from music and in Springfield. And so I guess like kind of that's maybe a bit of a um it's on my mind. Uh but oddly enough, the whole uh coronavirus I mean I, I, I feel like awful about it, but it's actually for whatever reason, um, it's been been uh, a blessing for me because I started to do these online shows and they really took off. Uh, and so it's just strange because here I was in New York and I'm quarantined and uh, I didn't lose anyone, thank God, that close to me. Ringer is a tool. It's available at ringr.com slash dale. That's where you can get a free trial, but it also has moments that leaves you very frustrated and without a person on the other line. And so that's when we got back on the phone with Jessel and talked to him about all the cool stuff that he's doing. So now we have Jessel on the phone line. And so tell me about how Eric Gamble came into your life. Um, so I was, um, doing a session with, with Lou okay. and, um, I, apparently they, uh, were very good friends. I didn't know yeah. anything about him at the time and he must've mentioned the name to Eric, uh, because I, sometime uh, around, uh, 2000, uh, it was 2003 or possibly 2004. Eric actually okay. got a hold of me. Really? And and, uh, and he asked me if I had any tracks. And at the time, I had just done a little acoustic album with, with a friend, just me and guitar, basically to get the, the basic tracks down. Sure. But it kind of worked on its own, even though some of the songs were intended for a band. And so right. I just, uh, he, he actually asked me, he said, well, just, if you got, a, if you have a boom box, just turn on record and let me hear some of your, really, uh, your favorite songs. And I thought like, wow, I mean, this guy, uh, supposed to be some type of, uh, a big time producer and yeah. he just wants me to record something off a boom box. And uh, so, which I thought, well, okay, I mean, on the one side, it's kind of a cheap, cheap suggestion, but uh, so I uh, I sent him that recording, I think it was 11 or 12 songs, and he really liked it a lot, and uh, said he wanted us to come out and do, uh, well, he wanted to do, I believe, uh, well, it was going to be like eight days, uh, we ended up doing five total. Okay. Uh, but we did three the first time, and um, but, it, but it was like it was a big deal for me actually because yeah, big deal for um, not just to work with Eric, but he also at the time I'm sure you know had that club in New York, oh, the yeah. Lakeside Lounge, yes. And so the offer was to come in to do three days in the studio, but also uh, the night before the first session you'll do a show at the club. Right. And uh, I actually had a decent following because I had just recently moved back to Springfield from New York. Uh -huh. And I had a decent following from when I was busking then. 
And so, yeah, we actually had a decent turnout to the show, and he was really stoked about that also. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, and so we started the record. And But the uh, I have to say it's a little difficult to talk about only because, I mean, it, I'm sure it happens to other people, but I guess I didn't think it would happen to me. And I <laughs> had hit a point where I just became so... Uh, well, I just I was I was worried that if this if only my friends in Missouri and New York buy this record after all the effort and the money, right. uh, I just didn't wasn't sure I could go on at that point because all the stuff I did with Eric, which I haven't released, I put out some of it, and uh, including a few tracks done with Lou, and then uh-huh. one track uh, from a guy in Chicago. Uh, that I also met through Eric, this guy, John Abbey, and he's mixing the record. But basically, man, I felt like this is it for me. And so it, it a kind of um, paranoia developed around the songs where I didn't really want to put them out because if sure. they failed in my view, which uh, is, is a definition of failure, but uh, success be, being based on worldly success, Right. But I'd always felt like, you know, I'd succeeded as an artist. Uh, the, mu- the music was always moving someone. But I guess, I mean, you've got family pressure. And sure. uh, Uncle Sam wants his student loan money back um, for the degree right. you didn't finish while you were, like, playing rock and roll person and chasing girls. Yes. And, you know, he <laughs> wants his money anyway. He just, he didn't, he doesn't care if I finished or not. Right. Uh, and so uh, I just kind of there's this like a- a aspect that in some ways life becomes more um, complicated and you can't be the um, I- I'm not like I can't do the whole like reckless 30 some odd year old Jessel like crashing on people's floors and I don't want to. Um, yes. But it's just uh, so I guess I'm, I'm just um, at the point where I just. I want to put that stuff out and and it's kind of become like um hard for me to move on into other material cuz that's to me like it's 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 kind of like this just sitting there still waiting but I guess I mean you just hit a point where like at least for me where I don't have to make I'm not trying to get rich if that's what I was trying to do I'd got to chose something else sure. many years go right but i suppose like i'm at the point now where like i'm so uncompromising i I won't do anything else but it i'm at the point where it really needs to make some kind of a living for me right sure or i just don't know um i may have to i don't know come up with something uh and and i guess like what's so strange is since the pandemic I am actually making a living right now. Oh, wow. Tell me about that. I just, I don't know, man. I don't even know how to, I don't, I'm I'm not sure how to explain it really because it's just so odd to me, but the, the pandemic hit and this friend pushed me and pushed me to put up a GoFundMe and I have never crowdsourced Dale. I always raised the money on my own. Sure. Either through like people I met or knew, or I went and right. I begged, begged family members, and I also paid for a lot of it um, myself. Um, but yeah, so I put that up, and it started doing really well. And I started doing the online shows, and uh-huh. um, of course, you know, it would be totally rude to get in the numbers, and I would never do that. But little <laughs> things I could say when I when I wanted to um, come back. Uh, it just seemed like that very weak, and and travel so expensive now because of the virus. And right. but that very weak, one little online show on Look uh, for a friend's group was enough to get the plane ticket. Yeah. Uh, and then two days after that, just some friend in Springfield randomly says, "Well, I'm sending you all the expenses for your first month back." Because I want it to be a comfortable move for you. And I was just dumbfounded. And, and, and there was a lot of other 
other like um, um, just support from the online shows that uh, and and it just basically added up into I, I I had kind of like said well you know if I could do X amount monthly then I I could pay this and that and right. save a little and and I uh, pretty I've done I've hit that uh, kind of milestone three out of the last six weeks and uh and had never like hit it that consistently and i think just maybe what it is too is that i didn't realize that well i i realized it but i was just kind of staying in touch with the springfield family because right. facebook was was the only means to do that or was the best most efficient Sure. And and I think I was probably like unwittingly building community my damn self. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got into a pinch and then, you know, and I wasn't even really thinking about it. Oh my God, I'm giving away free videos every other week. They're right. not going to send me any money. They're not going to want to see me online. And uh, <laughs> but sure enough, they, they actually do. And, um, and so yeah, like the um uh I mean I, I it was really nice. Like I actually came back um with with uh everything kind of worked out beforehand. Well that's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's um it's been it's been really strange in a way. I think probably in some ways like uh cities where people are even more community minded than a lot of other places that just kind of becomes amplified right and and so what you, you know, what's happened to me is that just a lot of people that I wouldn't have even thought might have like really supported me just started popping up out of the woodwork over yeah. and over so i mean i don't uh I, naturally i want this virus to end as soon as possible right. <laughs> things to simmer down but you don't but want it's the community in, so yeah but entirely well yeah i mean i mean uh it's just kind of like I'm, I'm i'm wondering how i can keep that momentum because it's it's kind of been nice after 28 years um i i don't know what to say a little pandemic allows me to make a good living um but yeah, maybe I'll have to go out and create my own virus. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think you are. You're creating your own online virus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, tell me again about these sessions because I want to hear how I can get to hear them, or when they are coming out, or what the plan is. Uh, well, the plan is. Uh, right now, they're being mixed in Chicago, and about a little over a third uh, of the songs have been mixed. Um, I don't. Uh, I'd love to put it out this year if I can, but I'm a little leery to give an exact date. I do have some sure. of the tracks. Um, I think like three of them up on SoundCloud um, under uh, uh, either you can either type my name, Jess Harry, or the band. In paradise, and that should come up. But I, um, what I'd really like to do is to put put it out this year. But I just gotta um, raise the rest of the money to mix and master. And well, what's that? How much money do you need? What are you looking for? Um. Well, I mean, you really want me to tell you exactly? Well, yeah. Let's let's throw it out there. Why not? All right. Well, I I mean I'm I'm pretty sure that uh we could mix master do all the art and print up CDs and some vinyl for around 2 grand. Okay. Yeah. Let's throw it out there. Why not? Yeah, I guess. All right. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> That's the deal, uh, you know. You found out that put it out there has gotten it done. Yeah. So yeah, and I I really want to get it out and I mean you know, I didn't really re- realize you were such a rogue state, or I would have tried to set this interview up years ago. But um, <laughs> well, the deal is, I've only recently kind of understood how much of this stuff is really just kind of cosmic and magical and everything else. And I really believe that there's a lot of people that are going to get helped by the stuff that we're doing 
you know, in every way. Talk about David Hoekstra's film, everything else. There's there's stuff that's got to get helped by this stuff. Right, right. Yeah. And sometimes uh, I think in in a way, in a strange way too, sometimes uh, the people that want to help you come from the strangest places. Right, uh, yeah. You just can't even predict it or, or I mean, it may not even – or, or it's just so random. It's almost as random as mentioning it on your show. Exactly. Um, yeah. When you did to do to do that, I think that's the best part. Yeah. That was not your your thought or your. I'm sure you didn't come on here thinking about, oh, I'm going to ask for two thousand dollars. I think I'll ask for it. Yeah, that's true. Put it out in the universe. Yes, definitely. Uh, you know, just kind of see it and receive it, but. Um, and so tell me, how did you get on NPR music? How did that happen? Uh, well, I just, um, I was kind of researching different ways and uh, to get on NPR. And uh, right. at, at the time, they had a, uh, um, a show that broadcasted nationally, and I believe it was called Open Mic. And what it was was you could... Um, you had to send them uh, like three songs, sure, and and then they would just get back to you. And uh, they turned out, it turned out they really liked this tune, "The Body You Crave," right? And I think it's a it's a pretty good song as well. Yeah. And yeah, and so um, what they said was that they were going to air the song, and then you had to um, call. It was a call in interview. It was very strange for me. Never done anything like that, but you called in. And there was a series of prompts that ask you these various questions. Okay. Uh, and and so that uh, was like maybe seven or eight minutes, some somewhere in there. And you also uh-huh. said to send them a little bio. And so that was really nice. Um, but what I would love to put up the link for possibly on your page was I didn't even realize it when I first moved there. Well, you start to, I mean, you're a lawyer. So, I mean, if you, you, you've probably experienced this 10 times more than me. But basically, you have a lot of people and they just, I mean, they're just wind. They're just, I don't know. They just like the sound <laughs> of their own voice. Yes. They, they just, I mean, they will promise you the universe. Right. And, uh, and, and you just met them five minutes ago. Right and and so it, it's just kind of like that thing where like uh, sometimes um, it seems like people are more interested in you knowing they have some kind of status, right? Than actually doing something for someone, right? Because it's it, it, they they need that constant recognition, and yeah. I mean I don't I I can recognize it generally, but someone gives me their card or they say they want to put you on a show. You basically have come to realize, well, maybe like one out of a dozen of those materialize. Nonetheless, I met a girl uh, down underground, and she said, uh, well, I met a guy that that was in contact with uh, with this um, pair of producers that worked for Dan Rather. And so they went around New York, and they picked, like, their five favorite subway musicians. I was kind of blown away because really and truly, I think there are a ton of people there far more talented than me. But I was really consistent in my playing. Like, I'd do five yeah. sets a week. So anyway, they did a little deep, They did a little story where they followed around those five artists, and uh, and I was one of them. And that aired on Dan Rather, but I didn't realize that they had also did a nine-minute film for their own uses, um, and I believe that's called The Platform, but maybe I could send you that. And yeah, I just, please, stum- please. I just stumbled on the thing. I didn't even know it was <laughs> out there. And and so this was like a film detailing when I had moved to New York in 2013 with essentially – about two pair, two different change of clothing, my guitar, some books. <laughs> Had about a hundred and five bucks. Wasn't really even planning to stay there, but just did. And so, yeah, it was. I was living in the shelter at the time, oddly enough, and and it was just kind of a surreal experience because here I am in this men's 
shelter with a couple hundred homeless guys, and I leave at 5 a.m. with this mini film crew. Um, (laughs) And I just, wow, I mean, you know, the only thing missing now is like a really good salami sandwich. Yeah, Uh, definitely. So, yeah, they put out a nine-minute film, and and I'm actually – it, I think I think it was really really uh, well done, and I uh, it was just strange because it's it's a really good detail of what that time was like, and then so I uh, and and then I just kind of told my friends in in uh, Missouri about it, and someone saw the film, and I don't know they just basically they it was the they sent me the largest amount of money I've ever made from my music. Really? Wow. Just, they just saw the film and they thought it was really inspiring. And, uh, and that was, I, I was just kind of dumbfounded. Um, yeah. So that was really cool. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, I struggle with depression and I think that probably was a factor in my recklessness. And so over the years I've been able to learn how to manage that. And it's just really strange. Your life goes full circle because I kind of have this all or nothing attitude and but now I've got this opportunity to be with this this lady and right. and we're really serious about it. And it's it's great. I mean it's like a I don't have to be that person anymore to be devoted to this path. Sure. Um I can be the guy in the backyard throwing the ball to the dog and just hanging right. out with the cats and talking to you and and just listening to the spill of of of, of life in Springfield and you know just <laughs> sitting in the backyard listening to the trees and I and I realized that like man it sounds so uh, esoteric but <laughs> sometimes I just felt like I wasn't sure if God intended for me to be happy and I had to maybe find out myself that. A, a lot of those uh, decisions were in my uh, were mine to be made, and I had kind of uh, been on this been on this trajectory where I thought if I wasn't suffering, I wasn't making great art. Right. <laughs> but, and um, I get that. I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. No. That's 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 definitely not the way. Um, it's one way. Might, it seems like, in a way, it, it might help you preserve certain values that you might have about compromise, et cetera. But I think it's probably like I think um, um, if I'm really objective, I probably uh, just achieve more as a person when I when I'm sharing my life with someone. But definitely, um, yeah, yeah, and I've seen it already. I mean, we've. I just recently quit smoking, and that's a good feeling, right? You know that affects your music, and right. I guess it's really uh, one of those things where, like, after when you get really serious about something like music, you realize that you will have to make hard choices. But um, along the way, I sort of became so obsessed with just fading into my own parade that I couldn't even really nurture relationships. I alienated everybody just because um, I felt like that was the only way I could keep up with this thing. Um, And my close friends understood it, but, but relationships didn't last with women. And I didn't even really talk to my family that much. And yeah, um, I don't know. I suppose it's one of those things sometimes where like you uh you can get so busy trying to build this future that you you completely neglect the present. Exactly. Exactly. It just, you know, and then hopefully maybe you realize that you can't neglect the present and and uh yes, yeah, so I feel like that's what I'm just realizing now that I can actually be happy in the present and still make write really sad songs. Tell me about Lou Whitney. Tell me your thoughts about Lou. About Lou? Yeah. Um uh, oh boy. Yeah. Uh well 
I think um, Lou, originally I did, when I did the first session with him with Monkey Engine, um, I'm not sure who recommended him, but he was definitely at the time, uh, to the best of my knowledge, one of the only persons in the area that uh, recorded on tape. Right. And so this was kind of important to me because I feel like the person willing to go that little extra mile right. is definitely very serious about music. And I just, man, he's the kind of guy where, like, you just have to meet him once and it's kind of like you're just infected with Lou and you just right. really want to be around him because he's no so doubt. fun. And it's kind of like he's got this little philosophy on life that he's just always sneaking in with with humor. Um, right. I just, you know, I don't know how to judge uh, intelligence, but he's he was he's definitely he was definitely one of the most intelligent persons I ever met in my life. But yeah. the thing about Lou that was so great for me was you would have never hear him say anything remotely like that. Right. And uh he was he you know, he was so kind of open that it was sort of like when he was telling you what to do, he turned it into a joke. He made it seem right. unassuming. Yes. And, um but I just kind of realized uh, the other day someone was asking about him and and um because I want to dedicate the album to him, right. the, the stuff with Eric, and it's got a couple right. of his songs. But he was—he became a kind of mentor, but he never asked me if I. Sure. He never said, "Hey, would you like me to be your mentor?" Right. He, just, he would have <laughs> never heard something like that from Lou, you know. Definitely uh, not. But uh, yeah, so I just kind of um, after the sessions with Monkey Engine and. Uh, this would have been in the early 90s. I just used to just kind of blow in there to talk to him. Yeah. Because uh, he was just so much fun to talk to uh, uh, with his just kind of weird sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, it was just fun to be around, but also he knew a lot of people in the business, and he always kind of like told it to you straight. Like I remember, I don't know, that uh, there was this time where like uh, – well, you know how people love to argue about who sold out and what sold out oh, yeah. and this one. <laughs> and uh, I suppose it just comes with the turf. But I guess somebody was having a, a, an argument and it came up in a conversation at a session. And someone was saying, like, Green Day was a sellout. And right. so I was I was kind of like thinking, oh, you know, Lou's going to pipe in here. And he said, well... He just said something I didn't expect because you know he does a, he was doing a very specific style of music, right? And uh, he said, uh, "Well, I mean, everybody's so afraid of writing a hit song because they can't write a hit song, right. and <laughs> if if I mean, it's like you know, if you can write songs as good as Green Day, then you'll be there too, and you can have someone argue." over whether or not you sold out. But, uh, and so it was just kind of, and he would just kind of pipe out profundity in these kind of unassuming ways. Uh, he, you know, he would, and he was always teaching, but you didn't know you were being taught. And, and kind of one of the things that I think is, as much as I was around him, you know, basically from, I, I met him in 96, but I was around him more through 2000 on. But, Lou wanted a hit. He definitely did, and he was unabashed about that. He wanted yeah. a hit. You know, and I think that in a way that's another marvelous thing. He was not afraid to indicate that he studied the charts and he knew pop music and he wanted a hit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Um, and I think that's why we all should know that it's not like you have to be a starving artist Whatever, there's some value in having a hit. Right. And it's not a shameful thing. Not at all. Not at all. And it's also, it's, 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 uh, whether or not you like the music on the radio right now or 10 years ago or what have you, or if you think maybe certain age was your age and that's over, it is hard to write a hit song. It's not yeah. something that 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 even like I think you know uh, 
one out of ten artists can do. Maybe maybe they can, maybe they can't. And it's not the ultimate, uh, it's not the most relevant thing, but as you said, it's nothing to be ashamed of pursuing. Exactly. And I think that was like what was one of his qualities was that um, his sincerity. Um, he wasn't trying to get get make friends or um you know he would tell you exactly what he think but he he had such a kind of a, uh, an affable personality i mean you, you just ended up liking him anyway and right. even if he disagreed with you but i remember one time um uh he just he he would ask me just questions about um what i was doing and i remember like there were three visits in a row I went to see him, and he said, hey, Jess, how are you doing? What are you doing? And I said, well, I just put together 50 press kits, and I've mailed that to 50 different indie labels, which I've followed by 100 emails, and I've been burning 600 CDs. And, and he said, are you writing songs? And then, like, and he didn't want to know anything else. Right. Next two visits, same thing. Well, I saw so article <laughs> in the online blog. Are you writing songs? And so he was um, – and sure enough, at the time, Dale, I wasn't writing songs at all. Right. <laughs> um, I was, you know, I was so busy trying to be Mr. Businessman that I had totally forgot about being an artist. Right. And, uh, and then one other time, I remember he just said, why did you get into music, Jessel? And so um, I was kind of thinking, oh, God, trick question. I'd better say, <laughs> I'd better say uh, I got into music to change the world and um, – that's going to be the safest answer. And he said, well, you got in the music because you were trying to find a way to meet girls. Right. You wanted a job that you wouldn't have to get up before 1 p.m. Right. And uh, also, if you could, you wanted to change the world. Right. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it was just kind of like I'm scratching my head. I mean, damn, Lou, you mean getting up at 1 o'clock is more important than changing the world? <laughs> but, it was, but that's how he that's how he laid out the profundity of the thing. You know, he wasn't saying it was unimportant to change the world by any means, but he was saying to be honest about why you want to play. Right. You like performing for people. Uh, you know, you like that you get to set your own schedule, and that's yeah. nothing to be ashamed of. But... Yeah, so I mean, it was. I, I have to. I I didn't even know he was ill, and uh, so and and um, it was just strange to me because when I left in 2013, early 2013, uh-huh. I mean, he was just as smart as a whip. I mean, he was running constantly, and uh, I know he didn't smoke, and I was pretty sure I never saw him drink at a session. So I thought he was in the best shape of his life, and it was kind of a real shock. Um, yeah, but uh, he, he's kind of like, I almost feel like everything I truly cherish as a musician is because it was shaped by Lou, um, and, it, and it was just shaped in the most offhanded manner. It was They were just general fun conversations that I truly enjoyed, and um, and I just, but, but there was so much takeaway and man, it was just, that was a tough hit really was. Definitely. Um, and, you know, that's part of the reason. And that's one of the things that I've gathered from, you know, constantly getting out there into the podcast, everything is just amazing to see how many people have this big influence from Lou. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about it, too, like, you know, if you had asked him if if he was an influence on a lot of people, I mean, he would have denied it categorically. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he just wouldn't allow you to heap any praise on him ever or just shirk it off. And uh, um, but and and also, I guess. what what also I you know he was he he was always eager to learn. Uh, he was even oh, yeah. as an artist like at at his age he was still evolving, and I mean I I think that's just a great lesson too because sometimes you just kind of get stuck in your 
supposed uh, musical ideals and they become more limiting than anything. Um, yeah, and so I just really hope that film gets gets uh, finished about him. I've seen some clips. Uh, have That's you seen what it? We're, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. I'm trying to help with that stuff too. And yeah. So the same way that I'm throwing out the idea of you get two thousand dollars to finalize your stuff, we need to say that we need some money for the film too. Let's okay. just throw it out. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Definitely. Um so anyway, still, where can they find out about you? About me? Yes. Um uh, well I think probably um maybe uh, I, I think probably the best place would be the Instagram page. Uh okay. just my full name, Jessel Harry. Uh but and then I've um I've kinda mainly focused on that one because it's not uh huge or anything but it's really like uh, been um a kind of small but loyal following and right. kind of meeting people from around the world that came through new york and maybe they were from this place or that and so that's been kind of fun um uh-huh. and i do facebook also but i uh, i feel like the um uh, the facebook is kind of more my springfield family and sure you know, if I don't already know you, I feel a little weird about that. Cause right. It's kind of a, a more, it's like more intimate to me. Um, but then the, you know, the, the um, Instagram's been a lot of fun. And so, yeah, I just, but I don't have a website right now, but I am focused on getting this record done. In fact, the guy mixing it, he's been just very enthusiastic and he keeps mixing stuff, even though he's not getting paid. And, wow. um, you know, which is a nice compliment, but then, you know, I start, oh man, I got to come up with a quick two, three hundred for him. And yeah, um, definitely. No, uh, but, but he's really enthusiastic about the, um, the songs. And so I, I, I kind of, I feel really good about what I'm hearing so far, but it's kind of like what you said earlier in forcing me to ask, uh, to mention what it would take to finish it. Get it done, man. Yeah, you gotta you gotta take stuff out of the abstract, man. Or right, it'll it will sit in the abstract forever. Definitely, um, let's get it done this year. That's why I'm yeah, here. Yeah, and I mean, if I faced all those fears and just get it out, get it out, find a way. But um, definitely. But I wanted to say though that I um. Well, Eric and Louis, the link between me and Eric. Sure. And so uh, I'm definitely committed to doing one more record with him, and we've already yeah. talked about it. Um, so just want to want to stay with him for at least one more record. And oh yeah, I think that'd be a good way to honor Lou, also actually. Um, definitely. And 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 I think also that. Um, it's just, I mean, Greg Duffin's out there in New York with Eric, and it, it's it's like a little bit of all of these things are an extension of Lou, right. um, and even how, in some ways, uh, how uh, Eric produces his style, and um, he talks a lot about elemental rock, and and that that's a good description of Lou's style, also. I mean, Lou's not looking for whistles and bells unless you really want them. Right, but um, you know he's more interested in the song, and uh, yeah. So I'm gonna do, um, and I actually have started working on that material as well. I just um, just gotta 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 get that one out finished when I start. Then before you go to another one, I get that. I totally exactly exactly. Uh, But sometimes, I mean, music it, it it kind of it can haunt you a little bit, and I guess um. Even though it's it's, I'm very grateful for the audience I do have, and it's small, but it's been really loyal. I guess there are just times where you think, well, why are these people telling you that, you know, it's so good if it's not really selling? Maybe you just, right. I don't know. Maybe it's time to take up that bartending job uh, in Mali, or I don't know. Um, <laughs> So I, I mean, sometimes you kind of like you—you you just well, like in the last three weeks, 
it has been a little validating, Dale. I wouldn't kid you. Yeah. Um, it's been a nice feeling to feel like, okay, I mean, I can actually uh, hit the goal that I set out to hit. And um, sometimes, man, it's just strange. Uh, uh, it, it, part of me feels like it's a shift in the universe, but then also I think um, sometimes a person can be just as afraid of uh, success as they are of failure. Yeah. Uh, what will I do with the money? What will it right. change me? And uh, will it change how I write songs? And sure. Uh, but all those things, none of them have to happen. Right. Uh, and so I um, kind of had to work on that for a while. Like I realized that that as much as um, I wanted to make a better living at it, it scared the daylights out of me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and now you got a new girlfriend, and so it's all going good now. That's what I hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. I really hope it. I really hope uh, that we'll we'll be together a real long time. It's really yeah, special. I can tell you're crazy for it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, let's get the stuff up because I told you by four, so we we'll get that okay. by four. And we'll get it done, and it's been so fun talking to you. And we'll get all these conversations mixed and put them all together. Okay, awesome, Dale. I really appreciate you having me, man. Oh, yeah, honor. I love it. Love it. Yeah, man, really appreciate everything you do for Springfield Music, man. All right, well, I'll sure try. All right. All right, brother. You. Okay, right, bye. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Jessel Harry on The Dale Wiley Show at dalewileyshow.com.